0: Remain standing as we read God's word. Having recited the entirety of the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus this morning, our scripture reading comes from the uh, book of Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, and just the 16th verse. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's words. It's found in Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sweeten this Word in our hearts, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we continue on in our study of the Ten Commandments, uh, although this, at least for the time being, may be our last uh, sermon in this series. I was going to be here next week, but I was having a, um, some, a crown taken off and put on, and um, she couldn't get the tooth numb enough for me to say, okay, keep going. So she said what she had already suspected, and that is that I need a root canal. Well, the good thing is my brother's an endodontist, and uh, he lives up in Pennsylvania. So I'm going to be traveling at the end of the week to uh, see my brother, and as it turns out, it will work out that I'm going to be able to spend some more time with him than anticipated. So a good friend of mine, Mike Glodo, is going to cover for me. Uh, Downside is I've got to get a root canal. Uh, good side is I get to spend some good time with my brother, who really is uh, one of my best friends. And uh, I know that's not always the case among siblings, especially brothers, but it is with us, and so uh, it'll be a delight. So that being the case, it'll, and, and since we're finishing uh, our, our uh, duty to God or our love for God this morning by looking at uh, honor your father and mother, um, we will probably pick up this uh, at a later point. Well, we have looked at the first word, uh, recognize the Lord as one, the second word, wear the Lord's name well, the third word, observe the Lord's day, and now we come to this uh, fourth word, honor your father and your mother. And so we're going to take a look at this uh, final word that focuses our attention on our love for God. Now the command here is is very simple, this this fourth word. Uh, There's a command given and then there's a promise appended to it. And as we'll see later, the Apostle Paul mentions this. He says this is the first commandment with a promise. So let's first of all look at the commandment. And then after we look at the commandment, we'll look at the promise. So the commandment. Uh, Honor your father and mother. Two questions here. Uh, How do we do this? What does it mean to honor? This is a word that is used both with regard to uh, what we do to parents, honor father and mother. It's also a word that is used for what we do to God, honor God. But often when God is the object, it will be translated glorify God. The verb in Hebrew is a verb that is related to the noun glory. So to honor somebody is to glorify that person in some sense, but in, one, in what sense? I think the, the simplest way to put it is that when we honor someone, be it God or another human being, we're esteeming that person as having value. That's what it means to honor someone. To esteem that person as having value value. Now when we stop and think about it, we don't always do that. There are people in our lives, people that we encounter on a day-to-day basis, that we don't value. And there are people in our lives that we value highly. And unfortunately, it's often the case that we value those that we, can, that we perceive can do something for us. And we tend not to value those people who we perceive cannot do anything for us. That just seems to be the way human nature operates. This command is that we esteem people as having value. And sometimes, if we're honest, that's hard to do because we don't often see the value in people. How do we esteem people as having value? Uh, especially as we're going to see uh, parents. Well let's look at one text in the New Testament, First Timothy 5:17. First Timothy, chapter five and verse 17. Here, Paul's not talking about parents, but he's talking about someone kind of analogous to parents in the church. He's talking about our duty to elders. And notice that he says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. Now, double honor, what what does it mean that elders who rule the affairs well uh, are worthy of double honor? Why doesn't he just say elders are worthy of honor? He says, elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. And there are all sorts of interpretations. Uh, One that probably a good number of preachers like is that they should get paid double. Uh, But that's probably not what Paul intends. Since he mentions two things, elders, honor, ruling well, double honor, it seems that what Paul is saying is that all elders are worthy of of respect but when an elder rules well there is double esteem double honor that is given i'm not so much interested in that double esteem for a well ruling elder as i am in the fact that paul is saying that elders are worthy of respect elders are to be esteemed why Not because they rule well. That's the double honor. They are worthy of respect. They are worthy of esteem. They are to be glorified because they are elders. In other words, it's the position that they have. Whether they execute the position well or not, they're still worthy of esteem. Police officers, for example, are worthy of esteem. Not all police officers serve equally well. Some are worth double esteem, but all police officers are worthy of esteem because of the position that they hold. People in the military are worthy of esteem. Some of them serve very well, some of them serve not so well, but they're all worthy of esteem because of the position that they hold. And that is what Paul is getting at, and I think that's what the commandment is getting at as well. So as we begin to think more about what goes next in this commandment, uh, honor father and mother, esteem father and mother as having value, something that is like, I don't know, seems like nigh until impossible for adolescents to do, Um, Teenagers seem to—it just kind of like I don't know if mom says it, it's got to be wrong. Uh, it, it seems as if there's that, and I think that's part of their maturation process. They're they're learning to become individuals. They're starting to separate themselves, and the way they often do it is by taking things to the extreme. So how do we honor father and mother? by esteeming father and mother as having value in our eyes, valuing who they are, valuing what they say, valuing what they do. Uh, See, the, the commandment says, honor your father and mother, your parents, because of their position. I have to think that in a group of people this size... We have people who have or have had parents who have not done a very good job. In fact, there are probably people in here who look back on their parenting and say, that was really pretty miserable. How do you honor father and mother when father and mother, father or mother, have not done a good job at all? I can't honor my parents. Look, and... The fact is, if we all look back to our parenting, uh, we'll all see ways in which our parents really could have done a much better job. Who, Who here as a parent can look back and say, I made no mistakes in rearing my kids. We have four. We have often said to our eldest, we are so sorry. Uh, We had no idea what we were doing when we were raising our first child. You got all of our mistakes. Uh, We've made small mistakes. We've made really large mistakes in the rearing of our children. We have not always done a really good job. We've done the best we could given who we were when we were there. But we surely haven't been exemplary parents in every way. How can we expect our kids to honor us if they can look back and see all of the mistakes that we have made? How can you honor parents, be they here or gone? Uh, When you look back and think of all the mistakes that have been made, all the things that should have been done differently. The commandment calls us to honor our parents simply because they're our parents, not because of how good a job they did or didn't do. It's because of the unique position that God placed them in, in our lives. Now, for many of us, it's fairly easy to honor father and mother because, sure, they made mistakes, but on the whole, we look back with deep love and deep admiration. As you know, my parents are both gone, and uh, I still think of things that I wish they hadn't have done that, and I wish they hadn't have done that, but you know, overall, when I look back at my own parenting, I'm very grateful that I had two uh, very solid, faithful, Christian, loving, imperfect parents. I'm sure many of you feel the exact same way. But it's because of their position that we honor them. And in particular, their position in our lives is that of God's primary representative. Parents are the primary disciplers of the next generation of Christians. Sometime back we studied the Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments, which I am teaching you today, shall be on your hearts. Repeat them to your children. The Shema is the summary of the Ten Commandments, which is a summary of the whole Old Covenant. And the Shema really focuses on two things. Love God with all of your heart and pass this love on to your children. And I think this in particular is why loving our parents and honoring our parents is the last commandment that really is, first and foremost, our love for God. Like Moses stood in the position of God before the Israelites, parents stand in the position of God before their children. Like Moses was God's representative and teacher of the nation, parents are the primary disciples of the next generation of believers. What a position that is. It's a position that comes with great responsibility, and it's a position that also comes, therefore, with great respect. And especially for young people who tend to have a natural inclination to think that if mom and dad said it, it can't be right. Isn't it nice when your kids get older and they start to come back and say, you know, you were right. Our daughter's in the middle of transitioning from college to the work world. And I can see in our conversations that she really wants to kind of make it on her own she wants to make her own decisions. She's not really receptive 100% at this point The mom and dad's input. That's okay. She's got to find her own path. We really do know what's best, though. <laughs> Young people have to realize that marvelous position that God has placed their parents in. With all their strengths, with all their weaknesses. And young people need to honor their parents for who they are as God's imperfect gift to them. God uses even all of the imperfections of our parents to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. And if your parents like mine aren't here, uh, we still honor them uh, in our hearts, we honor the memory of our parents in the keeping of the commandments. But there's application of this commandment that extends beyond the relationship of children to parents. When we talked about observing the Lord's Day, I quoted from the Heidelberg Catechism. This morning, let's take a brief look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism when it says, what is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requires the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Isn't that interesting? That the Westminster divines, when they were thinking about how do we honor our parents, did not limit this command to the child-parent relationship, but said, really, there are implications in this commandment for how we relate to absolutely everybody. And we all have people, in one way or another, socially, in terms of work, in terms of family, there's hierarchy built in to the world that God has made. We have people who are our superiors, we have people who are our inferiors. We have people who are our equals. Now this doesn't have to do with what it means to be a human, but it has to do with our relationships and the roles that we play in life. And we all have people in all three of these categories. There are people above us, people below us, people beside us. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that we honor father and mother when we preserve the honor and perform the duties that are necessary in our relations with absolutely everybody. Now how can that be? What what are the I wasn't there. I can't get back into their heads, but I think I know why the Westminster divines were were willing to expand the application of this commandment to all of our relationships. And it goes back to the same reason for honoring parents. It's the position that other people are in. Well, what position is that? It's the position of being an image bearer of the true and the living God. Everyone whom you know, they might be your boss, they might be your employee, they might be your fellow worker, same level of management, father, mother, grandparents, your children, One thing is true of absolutely all of them. They all hold a very high position in God's creation. They have been created to bear God's image. And I'm convinced that this is one of the, if not the most fundamental truth about humanity that we have to continually remind ourselves of. People are created in the image of God of God and that has to affect very profoundly our relationships with everyone let's just presume that somebody came to visit this morning in this church and you were standing out front and they drove up in a nice car uh, and they were well-dressed there would be kind of a natural connection that you would experience with them. There would be kind of a natural honoring of that person. Well, let's say after the church service, you're sitting at a red light and there's somebody at the red light, extremely disheveled, holding a sign, homeless, will work for food. Just stop and think of all the thoughts that start to go through your mind. There is not that same kind of honoring. Because man looks on the outside and God looks inside. And we need to learn to see people by looking at the inside. And when we look at the inside, we see the image of God. The well-dressed, nice car-driving person, the homeless person that you would want to stay away from, they're all exactly the same. They're image bearers. How many of you have gone through grandma's attic or something and you find this, this, this pewter vase tarnished, hasn't seen the light of day for years. There's no shine, there's no glimmer, there's no luster. There's nothing attractive about it when you look on the outside. It's just all covered up with stuff. Well, that's the way human life is like. That's sometimes what our parents are like, young people. They're just covered up with stuff. And all we see is the yucky stuff that is on the outside. Parents, that's how you view your kids sometimes, right? The only thing you can see is the yucky stuff that is going on on the outside. That's how we can see coworkers and neighbors. But God invites us through this commandment to honor people to see in them all the image of God, and because they hold the position of image-bearer, they are all worthy of our esteem, our respect, being treated as people with value, not because of what they can or cannot do for us, but because of who they are as God's image-bearers. Would God grant us grace as his people to be able to see everybody as a shining image of the true and living God, I guarantee you it will make a difference in how you treat people. If before you think that thought, say that word, express that feeling, you realize that you are in the presence of God through an image bearer that you are looking at eye to eye. Honor father and mother requires us not only to esteem our parents as having value, but to esteem everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals as having value because they have been created in the image of God. Now, the promise. The Westminster Shorter Catechism in question 66 goes on to ask, what's the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? And the answer, the reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity. Two things, a promise of long life and prosperity. Why do the Westminster divines say that God promises long life and prosperity for those who keep this commandment? Well, it's because that's what Deuteronomy says. First of all, it promises a long life. And the promise of long life is not unique to this commandment. Deuteronomy 4.40. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today, so that you may live long. Deuteronomy 6.2. So that you may enjoy long life. Deuteronomy 22.7. So that you may have a long life. Deuteronomy 32.47. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, not just with regard to honoring father and mother, but with regard to all of the commandments, the promise is that in the keeping of the commandments, there is life and there is long life. But you know, many of us can imagine a long life that we wouldn't want to live. Right? Well, the commandment has a promise that is not just a long life, but it's a good life that you may live long and that it may go well with you. Now, in English, good and well are two different words, but in Hebrew, good and well are the same word. And so this really is the promise of a good life. There are multiple differences between the Ten Commandments in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Here's just one small one, that this promise of a good life, what the Westminster Divines call prosperity... It's not mentioned in Exodus 20, but it is in Deuteronomy 5, and it's also a twin theme throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4.40, keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you. Deuteronomy 6.3, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. A land flowing with milk and honey is the quintessential Old Testament expression for the abundant life in Israel. Milk, to us, it's just kind of what you put on cereal. Uh, Honey, you might use it on your oatmeal. But milk and honey in the Old Testament were luxuries. A land that is flowing, not, not just dripping, not just a little bit. It's a land that is flowing with milk and honey a land flowing with prosperity. Now, talk of long life as a promise for keeping the commandments, talk of prosperity as a promise for keeping commandments, might sound kind of Old testamentish, but aren't we New Testament believers who focus on the spiritual and not the physical? No. That's my short answer. Here's a little bit longer of one. Ephesians 6, 1 to 2, New Testament. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then Paul quotes, honor your father and your mother. And then Paul inserts, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then he quotes, so that it may go well with you, the good life, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So the idea that I grew up with that the Old Testament was physical and the New Testament is spiritual is a, is a choice that the Bible doesn't want us to make. The, the spirituality of Old Testament believers encompassed all of their lives, body, mind, spirit, the whole thing. It's interesting that we... Um, we read from Psalm 103, and of course you can't read the whole psalm, right? So it has to stop somewhere. And because the focus of our reading was on the forgiveness of, your, of sins, we stopped with, he forgives all of your sins. But the very next half line of poetry says, and he heals all of your diseases. So the Old Testament was body and spirit. It was the whole person. The New Testament is body and spirit. It is the whole, te- uh, the whole person. There's not this Old Testament, physical, New Testament, spiritual. Because it's the same creator in both testaments. It's the same redeemer in both testaments. It's the same people of God in both testaments. And so this promise of a long good life. Paul says, New Testament children... Obey your parents. Why? Because it pays. Now there are other reasons, right? Their position, but also because there's a promise. It'll go well with you and you'll have a long life on the earth. That's the rule of God for the church. Now probably you already have exceptions rattling through your minds, don't you? There there are exceptions. This is the rule, that as we live in keeping with divine principles, it enhances the quality of life. If we live out of accord with divine principles, it deteriorates the quality of life. I'm sure somehow we could get access to the roof. And if we were to stand on the roof right after the service, uh, the highest point on the front of the building, we would all have a choice, do we want to step off or not? Most of us would choose not to step off, right? If you chose to step off, would it enhance the quality of your life or detract from it? It would detract from it. Why? Because you are not living in keeping with one of God's divine principles called gravity. And the same is true with all of God's principles. When we live in keeping with divine principles, it enhances the quality of life. That's why Deuteronomy has this theme running through the whole book. If you keep my commandments, it will go well with you and you'll live long. That's the rule. There are exceptions. We all have experienced exceptions, be it family or friends. But the exceptions are just that. They're exceptions to the rule, and they're here, no doubt, because we ate that apple. And our eating of that apple means that God's world is not working now the way He originally intended. But the book of Deuteronomy, along with the whole of the first five books of Moses, are teaching us what God's ideal world should look like. Apart from examples in our own life, we don't have to think very hard to think of this guy named Job. Now, Job was a righteous, God-fearing man. God tells us that. The narrator tells us that. And man, it didn't go well with Job, did it? In the short run. But in the long run, it went well with Job. In the first edition of the New Living Translation, the book of Job ends by saying, now there was a man who lived a long, good life. He sure had his twists and turns and his ups and downs, but in the end, he looked back and he said, it was a long, good life. Probably the biggest exception is Jesus. While Job was righteous and God-fearing, Job was not anything close to perfect, but Jesus was. And yet Jesus didn't live this long, good life. But it wasn't because of any failure on his part. It was because of failure on our part. We read this morning that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. If he did, the room would be empty this morning. Never forget that. He treats us as Jesus deserves. There was that double switch You see, Jesus took all of our sin on Himself. No wonder He didn't live a long life. He was bearing our sin. But because He Himself had never sinned, in the long run, what happened to Jesus? Never forget the resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. Hebrews tells us that He cried out with great pleas and tears to the one who was able and he was heard, not in the short run, but in the long run, he was heard because of his obedience and God raised him from the dead. And because God raised him from the dead, he raises us from the dead ultimately at the great resurrection, but we experience that resurrection more and more in this life. And so we don't want to leave a text like this thinking, man, if I can only do a better job at keeping God's commandments, I can extend my life by a week or two or three or a year or two or four. It'll be better and longer the more I can keep his commandments. First and foremost, this commandment invites us to see Jesus as the great honorer of his father. He honored father and mother with absolute perfection And he gives that to you and you receive it this morning by grace through faith. And so as you think of this commandment, think of your Savior. As you think of this commandment, think of your justification. My heavenly Father sees me as a perfect parent honorer. Absolutely perfect. Because the honoring of father and mother of Christ has clothed me. And all of the dishonoring words that I ever said, you've said them. Thoughts, you've had them. Toward father, toward mother, toward superior, toward inferior, to somebody who's across from you, Jesus paid it all. And so you say, God, what a gift. You view me as one who is a perfect parent honorer. All of the lack of esteem that I have exhibited has been taken care of. How can I show you that I love you? And he says, you know all those people that are sitting around you here in this room, especially the ones that there might be some kind of tension, esteem those people. The people who are well-dressed in nice cars, esteem them. The people who are saying we'll work for food and don't have a change of clothing, esteem them. Treat people as having value because of the position that they hold in social hierarchy or ultimately because of the position that they hold as image bearers of the true and living God. And you see as we begin to grow in our gratitude for God's grace to us, we begin to grow in our love for God. And one of the simple ways that God calls us to love him is by honoring all who have been made in his image. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We do pray. Pray for forgiveness for those times we have and do fail to esteem people as having honor because they have been made in your image. We pray that you would write this word on our hearts that it might shape our our attitudes and our actions more and more with regard to all of our relationships, but especially with regard to father and mother we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let's re-